Hello, everyone, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Miratori. And I'm Anna Rutberg. And this is the first episode of Fractured Identity Month, which, you know, our themes have been very straightforward. Yeah. World War I right, yeah. was the theme, mm-hmm. for example. Fractured Identity, what's going on over there? On the, you, you run the movie club picking list. Fractured Identity, it sounds like we're getting sophisticated. We are getting sophisticated. Well, this was one, so this is a, a theme that was picked from our, our uh, movie picking mega thread of uh, movies suggested by uh, folks in the club. Gotcha. And I'm pretty sure somebody in the movie club thought of Fractured Identity. Okay, so we're a, not responsible for this. No, it's this not our, our fault. It's not our fault. So this week's movie is Fight Club, a movie starring Meatloaf and Jared Leto with <laughs> notable cameos from Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. That's right. It's directed by David Fincher, mm-hmm. and it was originally written by Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, it's I'm glad a, someone could say that last name. I'm not sure I'm saying it correctly. Okay. I have read this book, actually. Oh, okay. Interesting. W- a long time ago. I think yeah. when the movie came out. Yeah. Um, when did the movie come out? I was wondering that. Do you remember what year... The movie came out probably in two, around 2000, 2000, maybe 2001 or two. Okay. I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly when. It's it's a good 20 years old, I think, at this mm-hmm. point, I think. Well, it's that's actually one of the things that I found so interesting about watching this movie. Even though it's from, as you say, 20 years ago, I feel like it's what it's sort of dealing with and talking about is more relevant than ever today. Yes. It's almost prescient, like how yeah. how on point it is. Yes. Um, when I think of like the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of what this movie is sort of dealing with, I almost don't associate as much with that time, Which, but I do associate it with now, right? Which is sort of yes. like a disillusioned generation of, yes. you know, people who are just working jobs that are pointless yes. and, and feel that their lives are meaningless and pointless, yeah. and they are. Yeah. And uh, people look for meaning and, and end up reaching out for for like chaos and, right, and right. destruction, you know, self-destruction and, and that kind of thing. Like, I feel like that's just sums up so much of today's culture. I, I would agree that the movie almost feels like it's more relevant today than it was when it was yeah. released. Not that it wasn't relevant maybe when it was released, but yeah. that it is. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm pretty like, like I said, I'm pretty sure it is the ending of the movie, for example, they blow up a bunch of buildings. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I would almost imagine they probably wouldn't quite have done it that way after 9-11. Yeah, so I'm, just, like I'm this, just guessing. This 2000, must have come out before 9-11. Yeah. 1999, 2000. I, I'm, so I'm pretty sure about that timing. It's not a modern movie. It's I mean, by that sense, it's pretty old at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the book would be even older. Right. So and the book has most of the stuff that's in the movie. The movie very much feels like a a movie that came from a book. It really retains a lot of that that feeling of of like what it feels like to read a novel. It it does and it shares a distinction with what's eating Gilbert Grape in my head where the screenplay is much better than the book. That's for Fight Club. Very rare. Yeah. It's very rare to have read a book and seen a movie and to go like, well, yeah. the movie's way better. A lot of times, movies made out of books, you watch the movie and you're like, that was kind of incomprehensible or yes, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense or it's too slow and meandering. Because yeah, a lot you know. of times you that feeling that you get when you watch like an adapted movie, you, you definitely, you feel the yes. structure of a novel in yeah. the movie. And for some reason, a lot of times that doesn't work. Yeah. But in this movie... Even though you feel it, it works really well, and it's like I'm not actually even sure like why that is, um, but it, it it's definitely true that it works. And 
I guess what I would say is the there's like two screenwriters, I think, on it. I mm-hmm. think Chuck Palahniuk is one of them. Okay. I can't remember. But then the other one is not. Is like so it wasn't the reason I bring this up is what's eating Gilbert Grape, I remember, was actually written by the original book author also wrote the screenplay according to like the credits anyway you know who, and for, and for who knows it, who actually well, and so, writes and movies, you're but, saying for what seating girl gilbert grape you think that screenplay is better than the novel yeah so like there was a case of somebody who wrote a novel and then wrote a better screenplay out of his his own story right um not that the novel was bad but it wasn't as good as the film mm-hmm and then in Fight Club, there was actually a, a second author, and I seem to recall that the second author like brought a lot to it. Uh, I read a little bit script. about you that. You mean writer for the script, not... For the screenplay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, you know, and either or, though, the book was decent. Mm-hmm. I am not a huge Chuck Palahniuk fan. The reason I read the book was because I know people who are, and when we saw the movie, they were like, you should read some of his stuff, and I did, and I was like, well, you know, it's decent. I just... I don't know. I didn't quite get into mm-hmm. it, so I didn't read a ton of his stuff. But I was like, "All right, the movie itself, I think, is fantastic." I th- I love David Fincher's direction mm-hmm. in most films, and I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic in this as well. Yeah. I think it's a tough job, and he does an amazing job at it. My only complaint, which we'll get to after we talk about it for a little while, is I f- much like The Shining. I feel like it, it about ten minutes before the end of the movie, it kind of goes off the rails. Uh, yeah, and so you okay. know, but I've seen this movie a bunch. You've only seen it twice. This is your second time seeing it. So why don't you start off? Well, yeah, I think this movie is kind of interesting too because it's almost a movie that you want to watch twice. Yes, because you'll have two very different experiences, right? Yes. Um, even even though I think the first time I saw this, which was not that long ago, it was maybe five six years ago. Um, I kind of knew the twist because, like, everybody knows the twist of Fight Club, kind of, right? A little bit, even if you, you haven't seen the movie. And so yeah, I and, think and I was... And there's been a poor sort of clone of it. Like, Mr. Robot is, like, an exact clone of Fight Club True. from start to finish, basically. True. And uh, and so people have, are like, if they've seen that show, but not Fight Club, they're kind of aware right. of what the and plot is. Exactly. And, and so I think, you know, my first viewing, I don't remember, but I don't think I had the, the experience that a lot of, like, fresh viewers would have had way back then. And I think that would have been right. a really cool experience. Yeah. But even so... Uh, when you watch it the second time when you really know what's going on, it's pretty interesting to see how how that sort of is working, right? Like, I think that's fantastic. It's one of the best things about this movie, in mm-hmm. fact, is the uh, attention to detail there. Yeah. Because in almost every scene, they do something with the fact that Brad Pitt isn't or wouldn't really have been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always something clever going on. Either the dialogue has hidden things like Brad Pitt will basically be saying something that could be interpreted a different way. Like I'll give you an example. There's a scene when uh, he, so Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are talking to each other in the kitchen about uh, Helena Bonham Carter, about, mm-hmm. about Marla. Mm-hmm. It's, I have to say Brad Pitt and Edward Norton because Otherwise, they're just both Tyler Durden. Yeah, because Tyler is talking to Tyler. Well, it's also so interesting because the narrator guy never gets a name ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's thematically the perfect choice, right? Because it's like yes. this guy has no identity. He there's nothing in his life at all except just you know IKEA furniture and you know no human connection. Basically, he goes to these support groups seeking human connection. Um, he has nothing, right? 
Uh, and so to have him have no name is just such a good choice. Well, and you notice they really hit you over the head with it. But as so many things in this movie, it's so because the first time you see it, you just don't know that. Yeah. They can hit you over the head so hard and you still never figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Because there's literally a scene where Marla is standing in the middle of the road and she goes, What's your name? You didn't write your name. It's like, what is it? Cornelius, Rupert, any of the other stupid names you give it the thing? And a bus goes by and he never answers the question. Yeah. And you'd be like, if you were really thinking about that, you'd be like, wait, that was a really odd scene. Why would they have her ask what his name is and then him not answer? But it just rolls by because it's a movie and you're not thinking there's any specific reason you'd pay attention to that. But no, like every last scene, they did something yep. to really like dial that in. Going back to what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're in the kitchen and they're talking about Marla. Mm -hmm. And Brad Pitt says something like, uh, well, you know, you fucked her. And he goes, no, I didn't. And Brad Pitt goes, really? Never? And what they're talking about is, was that part of his identity ever present during them having sex? Yeah, yeah. And Brad Pitt's personality assumed that he would have just, like, wanted to see kind of what it was like and is surprised as it right. But if you don't know the actual twist of the movie, then it feels like to he's just thinking, oh, Edward Norton probably mm -hmm. slept with her sometime before, you know, mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. came to the house or whatever, mm -hmm. right? This happens every single scene. Yeah. And, and once you're aware of it, when you watch the movie again, it's really just interesting to watch every scene thinking about that. Yes. Um, it's just kind of satisfying because it generally just it kind of works. Uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, there's so many clever <clears throat> things in this movie too. With the like, I I love the the creepy like splicing the the film. Like yes. the fact that that's something that Tyler Durden does. Yes, and then it happens in the film yes. of the actual movie. Like it's just this really cool kind of like meta thing because it's almost like th this movie has. It kind of breaks the fourth wall. Like, it's not afraid to just... Not kind of. Yeah, they I literally mean, talk to, to the, the camera. camera. Yeah. Um, and so this just kind of this really cool thing. There's a number of things like that. Like, Tyler Durden appears in the film many times prior to him actually yes. appearing. Yeah, yeah. As a spliced frame, like, with right, his right. arm around somebody for he, one that's frame what I was and all talking that. About. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, there's another thing, which is he. there's actual frames of porno, like, spliced into the movie, yeah. just like Tyler does, right? Yeah. It's it's pretty original. I mean, in a lot of movies, that sort of thing wouldn't work because you don't want to be, like, breaking the fourth wall like that. Yes. You don't want it to be, like, obvious that it's, in, that it's like, a thing you're watching. But in this movie, it, it definitely, like, works. It works thematically. It works with, like, the movie's very aware of what it's sort of doing. I think it's brilliantly directed yeah. to the, in that sense and edited and all those things because one of the key things about this movie is that it has to keep you in this sort of state of both confusion and somewhat fear yeah. about what's happening, but also never really let you know that what you're watching is a lie, yeah. right? And it it does it beautifully. I mean, it just, the first time I saw it, it worked perfectly on me. I literally just didn't, I noticed all these things. I was like, God, that's weird, yes, right? yeah. And I never put it together, right? Even though it's kind of blatantly obvious, and that's exactly what you want. You want it to feel blatantly obvious only after you are told. That's and that best, is exactly what happened. The best kind of twist 
Yes. Is that it's really hard to pull off. It is very hard. Um, where it's like once it's revealed, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. So a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Things I think this, this movie, movie did well. the, I mean, I think one of the reasons this movie is such a classic is because you could write giant essays on this movie. You could, yeah. you could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, yeah. It's got so much in it. There's filmmaking sort of stuff to talk about. Yes. There's you could you could analyze the themes and what the story is yeah. trying to say. It's also very poetic. Yeah. So one of the things that they do in this movie, because I hate first person narration. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Once in a while, someone does a first-person narration thing where it really adds a tremendous amount to the movie. Yes. And I love that because I hate it, right? It's like <laughs> I hate this thing because it's always used to basically patch over someone's inability to right, tell a story. Right, right. But every once in a while, someone goes, well, you could have just watched this movie with no first-person narration and still would have been great. But then we made the first-person yeah. narration <clears> – <throat> Add this whole second layer that's another information channel, basically, where it's like working with everything. It's it's like it's like the soundtrack or the music. Right, right. It's a thing that works together rather than trying well, to fill a hole. Yeah, and he's so like the narrator character. Yeah, he is the quintessential like unreliable narrator. Yes, right. Like he, you know, the reason I think that it adds to the movie, apart from the fact that it's just fun to listen to him talk. Right. It's it is like as you say, sort of like poetic in a way. It's it goes with what you're seeing on the screen and it and it enhances it but it also is unreliable it's this character doesn't really understand what's going on in it's, their it's reliable well he just but he's isn't not, but, choosing... he has, but there's something he's he doesn't know something fundamental about himself he does the narration is if i remember correctly the narration always just refers to tyler in a way that if you Nordy know that Tyler's not you can just it's like talking about his inner voice. Yeah. I so mean, they they, yeah. It, they actually didn't do unreliable narrators. If I remember correctly, I mean I could be wrong. I'd have to go really scrutinize and make sure I'm not lying to you, but I believe that the point at which the narrator starts the story where he's up at the thing at Tyler's his alter ego is holding a gun to his mouth, but he knows that Tyler Durden is him. At now. that point, yeah. At that point. Mm -hmm. His That's perspective is that from the for the whole movie. So he's so when, he's like, I'm going back and retelling this whole and he, story. And when he says Tyler, he means this thing person he sees. This, he doesn't ever say something that would have required him to know that. I'm uh, sorry, that would require him to not know that that was him. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he's not actually an unreliable. I believe not. He's not a forthcoming narrator. He could have told you that right off the bat, right? But I don't think he's unreliable, actually. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, I mean, I think he does have a certain amount of awareness of his situation. Like, he knows he knows why he feels the way he feels. Like, he knows why he goes to the support groups and cries, right? Yeah. Like, he understands what's missing from his life and what, you know, Fight Club is filling, the void that that's filling. He, yeah. he understands himself fairly well, apart from the fact that he... I mean, you could say the narr the narrator understands, like, but the actual character we're watching in the movie doesn't understand that he's sort of split himself into two different people, right? Yes. yes. He, he doesn't know that about himself. Wait, he does know that about it. I'm confused. No, the the narrator, the voiceover narrator we're hearing knows that, but the guy we're watching oh, doesn't yes, know that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Correct. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got confused. Um, the voiceover narrator 
has a self-awareness that maybe the guy we're watching on the screen didn't at the time. That is my interpretation. Okay. For sure, because it sounds very clearly that way to me. Yeah. So, like, main character that Edward Norton that we're watching goes to support group and doesn't know what he's looking for there. Yeah. Even though the narrator knows. Yes. So it's kind of this, like, weird layered thing. (laughs) Which, again, I think is fantastic. And they use that narrator almost exclusively for poetic things. You don't really need him to explain anything to you because everything is shown. Like, you see everything that happens. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. But you basically have this poetic thing. The cadence is almost in beat with the music. Like they've got music playing and the cadence lines up with it. And he says, the things he says are like poems. Like he'll say like, I don't remember the names of the drugs, but he's like lipstick, red, second alls, like blue, something. Like he he says the names of medicines. I think that's one of the things in, that in it, like a beat almost, yeah. and like all these things like that, like yeah. where it's it's kind of like it's designed to be read almost as like a free verse yes. that goes with the music and keeps the pace. I think of the of like the IKEA the IKEA furniture scene where he like talks about yeah. buying all the furniture. It's very well done. I. Also love the fact that the there's a tremendous amount of attention to detail in the direction of this film, which yeah. I think, I mean, I think David Fincher is just really good. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes he makes movies that are not very good because the screenplay is not very good. But like when he's making something that has a great, has great writing to it, it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything particularly like, I'm not sure how to say this. He manages to make everything feel like fairly effortless and smooth mm-hmm. a lot of times. There's never like, oh my God, that's an amazing blah that happened or yeah, something, yeah. right? But somehow every shot is still great. It's like this really good, I think of, you know, it feels very Spielberg-esque to me. He just puts together these movies that are very like, they they just flow in this say, way that I, you can just watch them. I would say you know? he doesn't feel as Spielbergy to me just because he's not as flashy. His direct, yeah, maybe. But I, I think because I was thinking about this a little bit before we started. You think Spielberg like, is flashy? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, I feel like for me the David Fincher stuff is like, it's kind of like to the point. It you would never pick out like a freeze frame of this movie or or probably any of his movies and say like, oh, that looks gorgeous in some like objective way, but. It's perfect for the story it's telling. It's it's exactly what it needs to be at all times. That's sort of what it feels like to me, is it's just, like, really skillfully done and uh, perfect for this movie. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how I would think about that. I think of those, like, I only, I only say that because, like, contrasting it with, say, like, the previous uh, month's lead-off episode of The Shining, mm-hmm. right? And I think, like, okay, like, there's just so many amazing shots. Well, that's, that's like a movie right? where you could grab a freeze frame of it, a still of it, and be like, this this is an incredible shot. And I don't, I think, so Fincher and Spielberg, to me, are directors who don't really do that. Like, when I go back and think of their movies, I don't think of, like, that shot is this amazing Spielberg composed has, painting. Spielberg has thing. those moments, though. Does he? Oh, yeah, okay. I think so. Like, Not, what's an example? I mean, E.T. flying the bike in front of the moon is like iconic. I don't know, but it's not that. But it's not that kind of shot. Like it's not. When I look at that shot, I'm like, it's just a kid flying in front of the moon. It doesn't look like those Stanley Kubrick ones where it looks like a painting, and you're like, oh my god, like how 
how did you make this thing on the screen? There can like Spielberg stuff is conceptually great. Like, oh, the you know, in E.T., the mm-hmm. astronaut coming into the door or stuff like this, or E.T. among all the the people, but they don't feel like those Kubrick shots where like like E.T in a bunch of dolls in a Kubrick shot would look like something you hang on your wall. It doesn't really, to me, in a Spielberg. Yeah, and the maybe, same is true of David Fincher maybe, to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree. I, I think I think maybe we're thinking of slightly different things. I'm Possibly, thinking yeah. of more just like iconic, memorable imagery. And I don't feel okay. like Fight Club doesn't really have that. I would agree with that. In it. But it ha- but it's, I think it's just, it's it does exactly what it needs to do to tell okay. the story I see exactly what you're perfectly. It's not particularly visually like amazing or something. I, I see. What you're just... So you're talking more about the creativity of what the shot had in it. Like Indiana Jones is just a very memorable thing to see. Yeah, when I think, but back, you wouldn't think of Fight Club th- as oh, I really remember what Blah looked like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because right? I, yeah. I actually had a heart. Like I had seen Fight Club like six years ago, and yeah. I honestly kind of had forgotten a lot of it. Okay. Um, and I think part of it's just like visually, it's just very dark. It's very gritty. It's very samey in a lot of its environment, like like locations and stuff. Yes, like it's in this disgusting house, which is like just <laughs> yes, ugh. and uh, and it's. It, I mean, it gives you this unsettling, creepy feeling, but at the same time, it's not. It doesn't stick in your head really, really clearly. I see. What you're it's saying. not. It's not supposed to really. It's not. Yeah, it's supposed to be depicting like real people in real environments a lot of the right, time, right? And not they are not like. There's nothing special. I wouldn't about even say. It, right? I wouldn't necessarily say. Like it feels heightened to me. Like that house feels like yeah, yeah. Beyond it's stretched. Right. Reality stretched. It's it's beyond gross. Right. It's like it, okay. It's it's like takes this step farther. Yeah. It, no, I would agree with that. Like so, in general, I would say that I I'm on board with that. Okay. Yeah. But what I wanted to say was the level of detail in the directing. Yes. I think is fantastic Mm -hmm. and i was going to give some examples of that because you know a lot of times you'll see a movie and the only thing being directed is just exactly what's in the shot Mm -hmm. so it's like oh you know if edward norton is going to talk to um meatloaf at the support group then the only thing that's going to happen is they're going to literally say their lines Mm -hmm. and then we're going to cut like we're going to shoot both angles of it you know the 180 degree split or whatever and that's it yeah but if you look at a movie like this, you know, every last element of the shot is being coordinated like very carefully all the time. Yeah. And I really love this. Mm-hmm. Staying with the support group, for example, when Edward Norton is talking to Bob, when Meatloaf is going to say Edward Norton's name, he has to look down at his name tag first, which we can't see, and then look back up to talk to him. This is just an example of someone remembering what the actual thing is that's happening. Yeah. Another example of these kind of little minutiae. Edward Norton goes to talk to Marla. He's mad at mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. This is the first time he's going to talk to her at the support group, right? Mm-hmm. He's like said, I'm going to go talk to her about this. He walks up to her. She is at like the place where you they serve like the coffee and the donut. There's like mm-hmm. a table mm-hmm. with stuff. She's getting that. He's walking up to her, and behind Marla, we see another guy from the support group, a kind of like dopey-looking guy. And you can tell he's walking up and wants to talk to Marla, Mm -hmm. like he's maybe going to try and hit on her or something. 
and Edward Norton gets there first and starts talking to him, her like sternly or whatever, and like the other guy kind of like like oh, uh, and just kind of like turns away, mm-hmm. right? There's no need for you to have done this in this shot, but it was just an example of oh. I'm trying to make this feel like a real place where everyone in the scene is doing things that a person would normally do. Yeah. And it I just love that because again, it it breaks that thing that I complain about in modern movies every time we do one of these podcasts, which is that that they nothing feels real. Yeah. Like you it the rooms don't feel real, the people in the rooms don't feel real. And I and it it always seems, you know, sometimes people blame it on CG, but it, to me, it just, there's plenty of CG in Fight Club. It it's just comes down to, they they don't pay attention to all these things. They don't actually try to create something that's a living space. And I think David Fincher does this brilliantly. It's always seems like everything and everyone in the shot is doing something real. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I feel like, so for me, you know, because we've talked a lot about the, like, the technical like filmmaking and script and stuff aspects of this movie. But to me, actually the thing that I found most intriguing and interesting about this movie is the, is sort of like the thematic stuff. Okay. I don't know. For me, that's sort of what I was really, I really enjoyed about this movie. Interesting. Is sort of like this complex human thing that it's dealing with. I feel like it's communicating something really innate. Like this is like a thing that all humans have, right? This feeling of like wanting to be important, wanting to feel powerful, right? Uh, but ultimately, the vast majority of people will never be those things. Will will you know? Will never really matter. Okay. And so, like the movie is just—it's sort of confronting that in this really interesting way. I don't know. For me, that's what my brain mostly is thinking about when I think about this movie because it feels like really like there's a lot going on there in this movie and what it's trying to say about that. Um, I think, you know, certainly like Tyler and Fight Club and all of that are not portrayed as like heroic, right? I mean, I think these people think they're being heroic, right? They think right, they're, yes, they're yes. the movie doesn't portray them as that. I don't think they come across as that way to the viewer. And largely because Edward Norton is the protagonist and not Brad Pitt. So he's kind of like stressed out and scared of what's happening right. with these people so the viewer also feels that way yeah. in a way but i think that at the um, same time <clears throat> you can sort of you also i think you have sympathy you have understanding for why these men feel this way you know these are like like you know the, especially the idea that you know these are the people who serve you your food and and yeah, yeah, do, yeah. do all do all the crap jobs that that you know and they get no no support or love from society right right? right. they feel they feel totally neglected by society and they are Mm -hmm. right and so it's like you that's why i think this movie is so interesting because it's like it's getting at something that is absolutely true and i think the the way that these men feel is sort of justified by the society they live in but they're, they're they're kind of funneling that into something pretty dangerous and damaging well and to be clear more broadly speaking Saying that they're neglected by society, I think, is probably not true. If you're talking about someone who has a job, like, you know, uh, some of the jobs they have in here, like bartender or auto mechanic or whatever, Mm -hmm. you are not neglected by society. What you mean is you're neglected by the narrative of society. Yeah, by the culture. Because there's a difference between those two things, by the culture. And that's totally true and is still true today, right? Right. I mean, and that's why Um, I just say I think this movie... Yeah, but it's important to note because neglected by society is there's another thing, which is like people like living in poverty somewhere. They feel neglected by... Culturally neglected, yes. Culturally neglected by the people who use those services, right? Like 
the people who well, are calling the shots. And by what they shots. see on television uh, yeah, and the, the news, and, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's totally true. And yeah, exactly. And so like they're not they're not really wrong in the way that they feel. Right. But they are they are wrong in the way that that makes them behave, right? And so it's like it's just I love that complexity. Right. Well, I think this is why I say, you know, my complaint with the movie is the ending of the movie. And that's because I, I generally agree with that. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's kind of like, well, that's a setting. Like, in other words, that's a thing that can generate a, a story. Right. And it does for quite some time, but it never generates an ending. And I think that's a problem. Right, because I think there's um, that. I, I think that's also a problem for me in that, like, I don't expect the movie to come down really clearly on like some explicit ending. Like, here's the right. way we tie this up in a neat bow because it's dealing with something way too complex for that. Like this. Yes, I don't care if it does that either. But yeah. it it really fails to say anything. That's my complaint. Yeah, yes. and I think that's it's disappointing because the movie is saying something, and then it backs away from it. You know, like, I think I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I'm assuming what you're saying, the, the, the part where things start to fall apart for you is probably when uh, the narrator guy kind of realizes about Tyler and then starts to try to undo everything. And, yes. and, 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 and I think it's like somehow it loses something there. So I think what I would say is that it falls into the it. it is trying to put together a final sequence for about 20 minutes yeah. or so that is movie-like. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, we need our protagonist to, like, there needs, uh, like to try to stop something. obstacle or try to stop something. And, just, and it, it, the problem with it is that there is no, re- nothing actually interesting happens. Like, he shoots himself nominally in the head, but kind of just out the side of his mouth. There's no explanation why anyone would care about that. Mm-hmm. Tyler and him are the same person. So shooting himself in the head is kind of like the most charitable interpretation I can give for that based on the things that have happened previously in the movie is that like the the narrative, the, the, the uh, personality split of Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad Pitt is constantly there saying that he has to hit rock bottom. Like, that's his thing. Like, mm-hmm. he has to hit rock bottom. Shooting yourself in the head, if we're supposed to believe that that is the final act that allows Edward Norton to finally hit rock bottom, then Brad Pitt goes away because he is no longer necessary, mm-hmm. right? Um, the problem with that is why I don't understand why shooting your cheek off has anything to do with anything really. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, especially um, when you consider... You consider, like, the circumstance, like, in some ways, I could almost imagine, like, when the explosions go off, like, that's hitting rock bottom in that he's achieved this this horrific kind of thing. But I don't see why that would be rock bottom for him. That may be rock bottom for his actions as viewed by an external observer. But for him, I mean, when they're talking about rock bottom, they're talking about, like, really not caring if you die or not, Right. That's what he constantly like, like the whole thing they have discussion in the car and they're like, just got to let go and just let things happen and not be afraid to die. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is shooting is is the idea, I guess, that shooting himself in the head is him saying I'm OK with dying. No, because there's no way to accidentally shoot yourself in the head and fail that way. I don't think like you kind of had to do it on purpose. Yeah. Right. Like. 
it's pretty easy to shoot yourself in the head and die. It, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I didn't understand why that particular act, which kind of obviously wasn't really intended, you don't want to kill yourself, you point it at your brain, right? He kind of obviously didn't want to kill himself, so why was that act special, mm-hmm. right? And if they had come up with some act that was special, maybe that would have been interesting. I don't really care about the buildings blowing up is the other problem. It just wasn't interesting to me. Okay, you want to blow up some credit card companies, I I guess. I mean, I don't know what that's going to do. You you never heard of Iron Mountain. Like, they have all that shit backed up, dude. You're going to erase, like, two days of debt. So it just doesn't, like, it it just kind of the ending is this big thing with the guy shooting himself in the head and buildings blowing up. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, when I watch it, it's just a dud. It doesn't have all of that cleverness and interestingness of the rest of the film, and yeah. I almost would have just preferred for him. I think what happens in the book, I could be misremembering. She shoots himself in the head and just ends up in the hospital, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that's what would actually yeah. happen if yeah. you failed to kill yourself by shooting yourself in the head. Somehow, is you're going to just end up in a hospital, and I think I liked that better. Uh, yeah. But I couldn't remember. I, I can't think, remember. I do think the bombing, the bombing kind of idea, I do, I think is part of what isn't working. Um, for sure. Part of what you said is like, yeah, it's just not plausible. Like, like the, the goal of it is like obviously dumb. Like you're, you're, you're not gonna erase the debt by blowing up these buildings. And so it's like, maybe if it had been more, more dire, like they were actually trying to kill people, maybe they were actually trying to blow up some important big, big wig kind of people. Like maybe that would have felt darker and more, maybe there would have been more of like an intensity to that because there's actually like human life kind of in the balance, maybe, but then maybe. it also skews them a little more toward evil, which is not what, like, the movie's also trying to, they're not trying to be evil, right? They're trying to, to they're aiming for some sort of, like, in their mind, some view of, like, justice, I think, right? And yeah. so it's like, I think if you go, if if it movies, if the movie's skewed too far toward, like, okay, the, act, the final act they're doing is just straight up evil, that's also too explicit, you know, because I think it's, this whole Fight Club thing is, like, operating in the gray area, right? It's kind of, it's a tough task. I don't really know how you end that. Well, I think it's too large is one of the problems. Yeah. It's like. It gets too too, too, I think too ambitious. You, I think you had to end this earlier and yeah. make it simpler because there's really only two ways that you can see something like this going. One is that it just goes catastrophically wrong, mm-hmm. right? Which they chose not to do. And the other is that it actually just like is a revolution. Right. Yeah. Like like they overthrow the government, which, you know, trying to set that in America is hard uh, because the government is very. But the movie you know, actually but, like when it starts revealing how many people are involved in Fight Club, yes. you could actually believe it would happen because it's like. But the I think police it would be too hokey. And all the all yeah. the people working in the security at these yeah. buildings and stuff like it already. And the military and all that. And everywhere and yeah. he goes, he flies yeah. to all these different places and everybody's like recognizes him. Yeah. Like it's already almost to that stage where you could plausibly think it would be a successful revolution or not right. successful, but like it would at least be an attempt because it would just be hard to it, show that is yeah. I guess what I'm saying. Like in any way that didn't feel hokey, especially yeah. in the U S right. Where, you know, it's just a very large country with many autonomous state governments and national guards and police forces. Just, you know, it'd be hard to show that happening maybe in a smaller yeah. country of a million people somewhere. You know, you could imagine showing it in a more plausible fashion. It'd be hard. So, you know, I feel like you had to end this movie on less of a bang. It had to be more of a whimper. And, you know, they didn't do that. 
And I just feel like what they went with just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's not that I can't interpret it in a few ways. It's that they're just not satisfying and more importantly, not interesting. It's, yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's the problem is it's like this, this movie sets up all these really interesting questions and a complicated, ambiguous sort of situation. And it, it really doesn't give you like ending like doesn't give you something really satisfying to like think about. Yes. It just kind of like fizzles. And, and I think part of the reason the it fizzles hard. is it's too it's too silly. Yeah, right? yeah. This movie was was riding a line. Yeah, where it it had a lot of playfulness to it, but it also had a lot of dark sort of you know scariness to it. Yeah, and it was kind of this nice, you know, it was riding in this really nice band. Yeah, right. And then when you kind of get to that ending. It just kind of takes a nasty dive into s- kind of feeling almost silly. It's or, like it's like too or frivolous. Yeah, because like I mean, even you know? even some of the way it's shot, like when he's fighting with himself, it cuts between him fighting Tyler and then like the security camera footage yeah. of him just fighting himself. Yeah, and like at times that comes across as kind of silly. I think intentionally, like there's just this like weird. It's almost a comedic thing that starts coming into play at the end. And like something about them standing there watching the buildings explode is like funny or, or it doesn't really work. Not funny, but it's just too heightened. It almost feels like a superhero movie or something. It's too far beyond what the movie of like the movie is actually ultimately dealing with this, like really simple, like human experience of like people who feel Yes. Like their lives don't matter and yes. are looking for purpose. Like that's the core of the movie. Yes. And the ending just like forgets about that. And I and I think, you know, the if you wanted to actually confront the problems with what they're doing. Yeah. I think like you know, if you're somebody who is almost creating like a cult like that. Mhm. Then like I said, I think there's a couple ways that goes, you know, assuming the cult doesn't succeed at taking over your country or something. Yeah. Then, you know, either something tragically wrong happens, like mass suicide or, you know, a standoff with the FBI, things like that. And it just all collapses. Right. Um, or, you know, sometimes the person who started it, if they're not, if they still have some sanity left, they realize it's gotten out of control. Right. Which is kind of what happens in this movie. It does. But we don't actually see him actually succeed in figuring out what to do with that loss of control. Mm-hmm. Like, he d- he just ends up just going back and taking control yeah. and keeping doing what he's doing. Yeah. So it doesn't, you're just like, that wasn't really a moral conflict yeah. at all. Well, and, and, really? And the way he, you can almost think too, like, maybe the way he gets rid of Tyler Durden is not by... Shooting that not by doing the thing that Tyler Durden wanted him to do, but by kind of like realizing something about himself that causes Tyler to like go away or something. Yeah, like I don't know, but I'm just I I feel like the movie just the ending doesn't sort of resolve the core issues with the character. Um, Yes. And it doesn't need to tie it in like this perfect little bow. But I, I think it's like it just leaves you kind of feeling like something's missing and that the ending isn't quite it's just not very satisfying 
Well, and I think it doesn't leave you something to think about. Yeah. That's the yeah. problem for me is it's like, it's just like, okay, some stuff happened and none of it was particularly yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the movie gives me so much to think about. There's all these interesting things that happen in the movie and I can look at any given scene and be like, ah. And then the ending, which is ostensibly supposed to be kind of one of the very important parts of a story, there's just nothing to think about. It just happens and mm-hmm. it's not very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'm left to think about is how would I fix this? <laughs> like, how would I have made something I wanted to watch here is the only thing I can think about. And that's not what I want to come yeah. away thinking from an ending. Yeah. Right? I don't want to be thinking about that. Yeah. I think that's what stops this, in my mind, from being a great film. Mm-hmm. I think it has all of the elements of being a great film, except for fig- it It loses... It couldn't stick the landing. It, exactly. It's like it's like a very good, uh, you know, um, balanced beam routine, and then you just fell off onto the mat. <laughs> At the end. Yeah. So you like can, you yeah. almost had it. You yeah. almost had a perfect routine. And this would have been, I would have said this is one of my favorite movies or something. But the ending is bad enough to me mm-hmm. that it really knocks this down into it. Yeah, yeah. I like the movie. I enjoy watching yeah, yeah. it. It's a good film. But it it's not yeah, it can't it, compete I, with something yeah, and I think that's really I, I do doing think, everything right. I do think it's hard too, because like in my brain, I keep wanting to like I, there's so much of this movie that I, I, I want to think about after the movie. Yeah, I want to think about what this movie is saying. Yeah, but like I, but it's you kind of hit a wall with it where you're like, I guess I, I guess all I can do is just think about that kind of situation and how it's relevant to today, kind of. But like, there's no more than that. I think to me, I just would have preferred them going simpler, a simpler yeah. route. Yeah, no, you I know? think you're right. I think or there was he like just a... kills himself. He shoots himself in the head and actually succeeds. That's one way to get rid of Tyler Durden. I would have been very happy with that. It's a very plausible thing that a human would do, mm-hmm. yeah. especially someone with a serious mental illness like that. Mm-hmm. They often have suicide. Like, and you could have done that respectfully and made it actually fairly traumatic yeah because you could have you could have made him um, he could have sort of had that the more the sort of the realization yes. of what what he's done and why he's done it it's and just too horrible and he can't live with it and it's better to kill tyler durden than to let it keep happening i think that would have been an ending that had a lot more bite to it and one of the reasons that i think that ending is appropriate too is this may not have been their intent but when i watch the movie anyway mm-hmm. um because you know i I pay very close attention to screenplay, right? Mm-hmm. I'm always listening to the dialogue and, and all that stuff. Yeah. A lot of the things Tyler Durden says are full of shit. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in the opening, uh, not the opening of the movie, but the the it, it, the scene where he's introduced, yeah, he's talking about like an oxygen mask on a plane. Mm-hmm. He's like, why do they have oxygen masks on a plane? It's like to get you high so you accept your fate. It's like, no, no one cared. If you're going to die in an airplane, mm-hmm. no one cared if you accepted your fate. You will die in the plane crash anyway, so nobody who does any kind of engineering gives a shit about how the people were feeling on a plane that's going to crash, <laughs> right? So that's just obviously false. Yes. So what he's doing there, right, in to be most charitable, I mean, it could just be a screw-up and the screenwriters don't know what they're doing, but to be charitable, what he's doing there is he's he's basically just telling a lie to someone to get that person thinking along their lines, right? So we're hearing a, like, rehearsal of the lies Tyler Durden will say to prime people, like, just the way a cult leader does. So to me... Yeah, he has in his head, like, this... this 
the sort of way in which he views the world and yes. the way that and the way he assumes that everyone else thinks and operates and it's very like cynical and dark yes. and so he sees that and he's like he can only assume that it's it's sort of this like dark almost like nihilistic kind of thing because that's his worldview well it's more he's just projecting what he thinks is happening in society elsewhere onto right? everything yeah onto everything even though those things actually have nothing to do with but that's that, what people right? do all the time exactly I mean, that's just how people's brains work and so to me that sets up this character who very easily could just be killed off like we can just say no this person probably should shoot themselves in the head in, at the end he's going to create this horrific thing because he really is kind of full I mean, of shit I'm actually thinking right? too I I was just thinking about that I'm like can you imagine the ending where he shoots himself in the head yes. and he's dead yes. and then the building just explode that kind of feels a bit more sad like it has a bit more bite to it right where it's like he's he's sort of realized it the damage is done but it, it's it's too late right he's he's already so it's possibly like, yeah it's I kind mean, of it, I feel like suddenly there's more meat there there's a little more to talk about to think about like what is this trying to say I, I, I don't know like I haven't one of the problems with this is it's a very competently made screenplay in my yeah, opinion everything yeah. up to that point is done very well so I feel like in order to make an ending of this film that really was right it's many months of work like you have to sit down and think about every last little thing that was said and every last little scene because that's the way the rest of the movie feels and that's another way to state kind of my complaint about the ending of this movie is that if this ending was on a different movie it might not feel so out of place but this ending on a movie where it feels like every last little stitch was hand placed by an expert tailor just so and then you get to this point where it feels like all of that was just kind of thrown out the window. Uh, that's really where the disappointment comes. It's like, yeah, this was an ending. It's, I guess, as plausible as anything else in the movie. I mean, it's not a super plausible movie, but it's not a super implausible movie. And blowing up buildings is something people do. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I would say right? it's, it's But definitely... it just doesn't have that level of expert attention to detail it's just an ending it's well, I think, not, and i think the right? tone and the feel of it come up come across as like a little bit different like yeah, they do um it's somehow almost like light yes and happy weirdly like it's almost like they were like wanting to give him a happy ending it is a happy ending more or less yeah he gets to live without tyler and he's got the girl and like oh look the credit card companies get to it's just like it's i think it skews too far on the side of Everything goes okay for our main character. Well, and I do like, so uh, one of the movies I hope we get to someday, one of my favorites that would probably be in my top mm-hmm. 10 is Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. So Nightcrawler is the example of a movie where everything goes great for the villain, who is also the protagonist, mm-hmm. right? But it's fantastic. It's done perfectly, and all of the themes line up just so, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... I have seen this done yeah. where you have a character who is doing something that's kind of objectively unlikable, who commits obvious crimes that endanger other people in the film, mm-hmm. just like Fight Club. Feels heroic in doing it, right? Like- presents it as heroic. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great film. It works perfectly. And all of the things they were trying to say fit right in there. It's just, it's beautiful. It's very well done. So I've seen it done. Yeah. Fight Club, unfortunately, despite its masterful handling of everything else up to that point, mm-hmm. they just didn't have 
a way they they couldn't figure it out or mm-hmm. or maybe they thought this was smarter than it was or maybe it is smarter and I'm just not getting it yeah, I mean, but maybe, for whatever reason it's not working maybe there's actually some interpretation of this ending that is maybe. really satisfying and we're just missing it movie if that's club, true movie club yeah. come to the rescue and tell us some people have had some really interesting yeah. interpretations of things in the comments if you've got a way that makes had, this ending so more interesting I actually while watching it did have one thought okay which was maybe this isn't real maybe when he shoots himself in the head the rest of stuff that happens after that is a fantasy okay. I mean because the girl I can't what's her name Marla Marla she shows up it's it's a weirdly heroic ending and it's a weirdly happy ending. Well, and she, to be fair, though, Marla shows up before. Before. So yeah. it's hard well, no, to interpret no, it that she, way. I guess Marla he, shows sees up the bus, he sees the Correct. bus. She doesn't actually come up in, into the room until he is shot Well, yeah, himself. but. But yeah, because no, I, I, I thought that during the movie, I was like, oh, maybe this is just meant to be like a weird hallucination he's having after having shot himself in the head and he's actually like in a hospital. But I don't, I don't think the, the movie really doesn't do anything to sell that. So I think that's a bit of a stretch, and I don't know if it really. I don't know that it helps that helps much either. Anything. Is yeah. my other problem with that? But I think, is like, but my okay, brain but went no. there. I think my brain went there because I because it doesn't feel right. Yes. So my brain was like searching for something deeper, right? It was like looking for a deeper meaning in the ending because I think the rest of the movie is so good at giving you so many layers of meaning, right? Like I think I love the I, I love that part of this the the sort of meat of this movie right is that there's so much there to dig into, and then the ending you're you're wanting that you're looking for that and I'm just not finding it and yeah if anybody in the movie club has some sort of interpretation of the ending that you find really satisfying like I yeah. would love to hear that me too me too so um let me say one other thing I didn't like about this movie okay and then I can talk about a couple other things that are sort of like in there okay. The other thing I didn't like about this movie that much, honestly, mm-hmm. is the acting. I mm. loved Helena Bonham Carter. I thought she was absolutely fantastic in this movie. She has a tricky role to play, mm-hmm. uh, and she absolutely nails it in every single scene. She is perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, hers, I think um, her role is also one of the most interesting because she has to deal yes. with the this person with like a split personality yes. and so she yeah yeah she has to kind of sell it both ways and she does it yeah. amazingly well it's just it's really a fantastic performance mm-hmm. edward norton and brad pitt are just fine and they're never very good in my opinion i i feel like ed norton kind of he's never very good in stuff i just don't feel like he's great and then i felt like brad pitt he has a tough time Sometimes he's able to sell the charisma, but he just he's kind of a mumbler. He doesn't have that kind of presence to me that's like this is a cult leader uh, in a way that I'm sure that, you know, if you had one of these people who, you know, they're all too old, but like, you know, an Anthony Hopkins or a Daniel Day-Lewis, you'd just be like, oh, wow. Right. Like it would be like that super kind of like intensity that they can bring when they need to or do whatever. Interesting. And so to me, Brad Pitt always just, the lines are better than he is delivering them. I can hear them in my head and I'm like, yeah. And so I didn't love the acting in this movie. It's fine. It doesn't ruin the film, but I always wished I could have seen it with two other people, to be honest. That's actually pretty interesting. I'm not not sure I agree with that. I mean, obviously I'm imagining there's probably a lot of other people who could have played these roles and it would have been 
interesting. Yeah. Uh, I I don't I did not have that problem with it. I think Edward Norton comes across really well as the person he's supposed to be. He's kind of just this like very sad looking nobody. He he does a good job at portraying this sort of like almost like frailness or something, especially as the movie goes on. He's like he's very pathetic, right? I think he sells that well. And I think Brad Pitt too, like I think he sells this sort of masculine macho thing because that's sort of the contrast right like there's a a big part of this is like is a masculinity crisis right and so i think brad pitt is a is a great choice because you want someone who is beautiful right like you want someone who is extremely attractive tons of muscles right like he's he's exemplifying this like type of masculinity that's like really appealing to these men right like this at the brutality of the fighting and right it's like there's this like barbaric sort of yearning kind of right going on with these men and i feel like brad pitt for me absolutely clicks with that role but that's visual right and i totally agree with that i think edward norton and brad pitt look like what we want in these parts no question right you got Brad Pitt, who's very handsome, mm-hmm. very charismatic looking, right? He's got all these sort of traits that you would associate with what you might imagine yourself to look like if you were creating a alter ego who was more attractive. Mm-hmm. And Edward Norton, exact same thing, right? He's he's kind of like more mousier. He doesn't have as much physical presence. He can sort of look a little bit more kind of, you know, disheveled and whatever. I'm talking about line delivery, And I'll just give an example. There is a shot in this movie where Brad Pitt says something along the lines of, uh, in the world that I see, you'll have leather pants that last you the rest of your life. Uh, People lay strips of venison out on freeways to cook them or something like that, right? It just kind of sounds ridiculous when he says it because he's just a mumbler, right? He just goes like, in the world that I see you'll have leather pants that last you the rest of your life. You know, it's almost like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like that line was, in the world that I see, you'll have leather pants that last you the rest of your life. And I just know there's someone who, if they were saying that, that scene would have really stuck in your head. But with Brad Pitt, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's Brad Pitt saying it. And to me, if Brad Pitt were playing an actual person, who was supposed to do this, maybe that would feel a little bit better because you're like, yeah, nobody is supposed, would have that. Nobody talks that way, right? But he's an imagination, right? So having him have more to have that sort of like, that preacher-like delivery, which is what this person, you're supposed to believe this person is a cult leader. He's convincing hundreds of guys, thousands of guys Listen to Brad Pitt talk. Well, He's not that but, convincing. But I, I actually, I sort of, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because yeah. one of the, actually, one of the things I think is so interesting about <clears throat> Fight Club <clears throat> and its origins that we see, no one says anything. This isn't a cult about speaking and about words. What are you talking about? He's talking all the time. He is, but I think his whole speeches to them. We see like four or five of them. He does, but. Initially, it starts out as just there's two there's some guys fighting and it just like naturally they're drawn to it and they just keep fighting. No, the very first thing we have is Brad Pitt giving a speech where he talks about the thing, putting the mask on in the airplane. The second thing we see Brad Pitt is giving another speech. The things you own end up owning you said very poorly. 
Yeah. It just does like I will go to the mattresses that these lines are not delivered very well. They're fine, but they are not great. And like I said, I'm just talking about nitpicking. Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, they're fine in this movie. There was a version of this movie with people who were exceptional, like the rest of the movie yeah. is. I mean, the I screenplay think, is better yeah. than the actors in this movie, and I will go to the mattresses on that point. I think I just I I buy it I buy it well enough because it's well enough because Me too. Me because too. Brad Pitt is extremely charismatic in the way that you imagine that people would be like. He he represents visually what these right. men yeah. want to be, and so. I think for me that the it's sort of the entire persona is more than just the way he speaks. And so sure. I didn't really end up sure. I didn't I didn't really have that feeling. Um for me it felt it felt like yeah, I can I can understand why these men would would follow Brad Pitt. Like I said, it's not it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I'm not saying they were bad performances. Mm-hmm. They were fine performances. They just weren't exceptional. Okay. So like I think because the screenplay is so good, it has so much stuff in there. I feel like I would have liked it if we could have gotten more. Okay. That's all. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, and so I feel like there's a couple times, especially where the delivery from Brad Pitt is particularly poor, and it kind of takes me out of those scenes. Like most of the time, he's able to keep it above that level where it sounds about right. Other times, it just kind of feels like ah, okay, mm-hmm. we're kind of dragging here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that line could have been said much better than that, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So, um, a couple other things. I like how much this movie keeps its track of its own premise, which a lot mm-hmm. of movies fail to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in this movie, probably thirty minutes in, uh, there's a thing where basically, like, it's heavily implied implied that Brad Pitt masturbates into the bisque at a hotel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his line is, "Go ahead, tell him." And Edward Norton just goes like, you get the idea, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the way at the end of the movie, they're sitting for yeah, the yeah, first yeah, time yeah. at dinner, right? And somebody comes up to the table and Marla orders. And like Edward Norton remembers that he's Tyler Durden. And he like grabs the guy's arm and goes, clean food, please. And then the guy goes, in that case, I would recommend against the lady having the chowder, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just... It remembers all the things that are happening in its own premise, which is so refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Normal movies, those are just throwaway lines that someone, you know, peed into the whatever, you know. But I think much like the splicing frames into throughout the movie, which happens throughout the entire movie, like it's exactly that same sort of idea, which like there's a consistency um, to sort of like Tyler Durden throughout the movie. Like he his presence is felt throughout the entire movie from the very beginning to the end, basically. And uh, and that's very satisfying. Yeah. The uh, So we talked a little bit about cleverness in the screenplay where we had like what things Brad Pitt says can pretty much always be interpreted in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. So you can interpret it as him talking to Edward Norton as two characters or as Edward Norton talking to himself. Yeah. And it always works. Yeah. Right. And I think that's really great. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was great, we sort of alluded to, we didn't really talk about it, is all the things that Marla does, they're all things that work correctly in the context of this screwed up, like, relationship with the person with a serious mental illness, but you don't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. So they were able to write them all so that they felt like they were happening the way you think they're happening before you realize they're 
actually one person Mm -hmm. and that they also work the other way. And a really great example of this is when Brad Pitt first goes to see Marla, which is, of course, actually Edward Norton going to see Marla. But, you know, it's in his Brad Pitt persona. Mm -hmm. He walks into the door. He walks, walks in the door. He walks through the door to her apartment. And she goes, did I call you? This is a line that works in both cases. Either when you're watching it and you don't know, it's like, oh, Brad Pitt walked in. She doesn't know who that is. So she's saying, did I call you? Like, who are you? I don't know. But she's all on drugs. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't know what's going on. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. She's like, I don't know who mm-hmm. this person is going through the door. But in the other way, it's like she's surprised at herself that she would have called Edward Norton, who's some guy she barely knows, right? Mm-hmm. So the line still works. So they managed to figure, you know, that's a real tricky thing for a screenwriter because you got this character coming over who she sp- actually knows, but she's supposed to not know in your first viewing of the, the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I just love it. I love that they they always got, they figured out a way, right, mm-hmm. to make it feel like it would work in either case. I just loved it. Yeah. It was funny. You're mentioning Marla, and I was thinking more about her and, like, what exactly is her role in this movie, right? And I was thinking again more about the ending, and I was like, you know, toward the end, once Edward Norton sort of realizes that he's got a split personality and yes. that, you know, at that point, he tries to reconcile with Marla. Yes. He's actually, like, wants to be with her. Like, he's suddenly yeah. reaching out for human connection. And I sort of wonder if that's what they were going for, is, like, the actual answer to this, this like, identity crisis is to seek out true human relationships. And yes, and and you know, at the end when when she comes and they're holding hands or whatever, is that maybe that's what they're trying to say? Is it's like he actually did find some sort of balance, and he's sort of starting to find like what an actual identity might be, what an actual purpose might be, um, by seeking out true connection with another human. Is I mean, that you, maybe what it's trying to no, say? No, because she's not involved in the climax of the film, and I think that's the problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just feel like this movie, it gives you so much to think about. Like, it gives you a bunch of these threads and then just kind of leaves them hanging. And I want, I'm so, my brain just keeps digging and digging. It's like wanting to find some sort of satisfying analysis for this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Because all, the only, you know, the thing I come away with is just, it's a good way. It, it It's found a really creative, satisfying way of expressing the sort of like existential crisis of a generation of of men in particular, I would say. Although I think it's a feeling that any every human yeah. has. Yeah. But I yeah. think the way the way in which the it, it's a male, it's a male reaction male, to it. Right. It's a male, it's reaction, a male reaction to it. To right. It. Because yeah. it's a very like primal thing. It's yeah, like yeah. These men are fine. They're they're you know in a sort of modern like decadent society where where there's not a lot of you know, there's not a really a struggle to survive, right? Things right. are actually pretty good for us right now. Right, right, right. And so there's a big part of humanity that that is yearning for the struggle, right? We've right. evolved for the struggle, and so these men are recreating. They're they're yeah. finding ways to to recreate that sort of fight, that struggle. Right. Um, and it's like viscerally satisfying for them, and and so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just that all that stuff is like super interesting, I think, and it's so well done. And that's really cool, but uh, yeah, I just think it it doesn't it doesn't really have much more to say about it. 
Well, they just couldn't figure out an answer to the question. Yeah. Or uh, a or a non-answer to the question. Yeah, right? yeah, they couldn't figure yeah. out a way to either answer the question or say that the question is unanswerable. Right. They exactly. They ended up answering a different question no one was asking might be the way to say it. Like they just end up going with the thing that's like this wasn't what I was watching this movie for. Yeah, it's like, like they, this they, is a climax yeah. that doesn't have anything to do with the things I was actually yeah, interested in. Exactly. They're they're resolving a part of the movie that's I don't not care about. the interesting part. Exactly. So yeah. I wouldn't care I don't care what happens to Project Mayhem. It's not that's relevant not, to me. That's not what the movie's about. Exactly. It's not about what Project Mayhem is yes. planning. It's about the humans yeah. that made up Project Mayhem and why yeah. they did that and the fundamental and sort of discontent all, of those people. Yeah. Yes. And it never resolves that in no. any way. So, But it's a great movie. I mean, it's it's extremely creative and well-made. And a very good book adaptation. Yeah. Um, you don't see a lot of great book adaptations. This is one of them. Yeah, it really uh, is. And yeah, I just, the ending, yeah, it needed a lot of work. And, uh, you know, they couldn't figure out how to do it or something. Yeah. I wanted to mention one last thing, maybe if we're kind of wrapping up here. I wanted to say one other thing that's just kind of a broad statement about this movie, which is just further praise for the the screenwriting. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things this movie does that you almost never see, it's incredibly hard to find uh, anything like this. Mm-hmm. They wrote every scene to be interesting to watch on its own, which is really rare. There's never a scene where someone isn't saying something interesting and intricate. It's just really good. Yeah. I would say I Heart Huckabees, which you can't even can't handle process. It. Can't I handle it. Um, I Heart Huckabees would be an example of another movie like that. It's extraordinarily rare, and it's especially rare in a movie like this where I Heart Huckabees is just straight shot, right? This is a movie that's got all these other things, you know, this this slick camera work and and you know well, all I think, these I think performances. The, I and think for me that yeah, all the, that stuff, the right, reason but, that this one um, works better for me is just that there's like a core like emotional human thing that it's dealing with that's really that res- that really resonates. Uh, whereas I Heart Huckabee's is is like doesn't well, really well, have an emotional core of okay, any kind. Okay, all right, like, now we're just ridiculous. Please. <laughs> Let's not get into I Heart Huckabees um, in this podcast. <laughs> but my point is, yeah. like, so they just spent time on every line. Like, none of it is just business. And I think that's really, really awesome. I don't know how that happens. I wish it happened more often. A simple example of this happening in a scene where it didn't need to is, for example, Edward Norton loses his luggage. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the person at the luggage carousel. Mm-hmm. And he says to the person something like, I'm sorry, the my luggage was ticking? And the person goes like, no, no, throwers aren't concerned about uh, packages that tick. And Edward Norton says something like throwers? And he's like, we call them, you know, we call baggage handlers throwers, right? And he's like, modern bombs don't tick, but if something vibrates, a thrower, I think he says, he says, a thrower's got to call the police, right? And then he goes like, Nine out of ten times it's a razor, but every once in a while, like, it's a dildo. Mm-hmm. And Edward Norton goes, but I don't own a... And the other guy goes, you know, yeah. just like kind of... If you think about how much crap, they all the only thing that needed to happen in here is that he lost his luggage. 
Think of all the things they put into three or four lines of dialogue. They got this weird conversation about how b- modern bombs don't tick, they buzz, mm-hmm. right? Which is a thought. Well, I think it's also right? it's also interesting because They're, he is building bombs. Yes. So it's like maybe he did actually have part of a bomb in his bag. Maybe. Um, and there's like all this stuff about like, oh, we call them throwers. Like they put this thing in this set of baggage handlers. They then have the turnaround of it. You think the joke is that it's it's not a razor. It's a dildo. But actually the joke then becomes Edward Norton protesting and the other guy's amazing look on his face. It's like, I no, it's just a funny scene. Don't yeah, try it's a funny me. scene. They get just so much stuff in there, right? It just, it keeps my brain so happy because all the time in the movie, there's a hundred things coming at you, all of which were interesting and tied together. And I just love it. It's just so great. Uh, It's really, really fantastic. And I wish we had more screenwriting like this. Nowadays, the biggest thing I notice in most movies is screenwriting is terrible all the time. And, you know, it's just really nice to watch a movie like this where every line looks like it was loved by someone, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the ending, the the screenwriting is very good, just mechanically it doesn't quite work. The the theme plot stuff kind of falls apart. Yeah, the writing... But the, the, but the line dialogue, yeah, yeah. dialogue still is great. Oh, yeah, the, the, the writing, the writing uh, is just very, very good. Uh, you know, great movie. Maybe not a great movie, but a very good movie. It would have been great if the ending had been great. Yeah. That was the one thing that really let it down for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it's, you know, like I said, it gets close. It just can't, it can't quite figure out how to pull those things together. Uh, but but I, I do really enjoy watching it. It's a movie. If anyone says they want to watch Fight Club, I'm happy to watch it. So it's, it's really good in that sense. And if you just stop before the last 20 minutes, it's just pure greatness uh, the whole way, I think. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, thanks for joining us for our uh, first the first week of a Fractured Identity Month. Yes, if you would like to listen to the rest of Fractured Identity Month and you're not a Molly Movie Club member, you can go to mollymovieclub.com and sign up if you would like. If not, then we'll see you next month, which we don't know what the theme is for the next for the next free episode. But I'm I not mean, sure what it is. So I mean, we'll it's December, out. so our members will pick. Oh, is it going to be Christmas? I month? mean, it might just have to be like a ho- holiday oh, movies. Man. Holiday I guess movies. that means Die Hard. Yeah. What, are, what are the Christmas Die Hard Home Alone? We have it's on the movie club. The oh, we've got a list. We've got a list. Yeah, okay. yeah. There was there was holiday movies suggested in the movie club. So anyway, all right, folks. <laughs> but well, we'll see you back here. If you're not a member, we'll see you back here next month for Christmas month. Until then, I'm Case Miratori. I'm Anna Redberg. And thanks for joining us. Bye.